0: traveler through the Bible please join me for the next part of my journey through the scriptures stay as long as you like and let us together discover a bit more about the Bible God's promise of the earthly kingdom of the Messiah is found throughout the Old Testament it would take several podcasts to cover even a small portion of the scriptures in the Old Testament that speak about this period of time But to whet your appetite, you can find references in 2 Samuel, Psalm 2, and a large number of references in the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, and Zechariah. Then, when you read through the New Testament, Matthew 24 focuses on the time when the sign of the Son of Man appears in heaven and Jesus comes with the angels to gather the elect from the four corners of the earth. That heralds the beginning of the glorious millennial kingdom. So both Old and New Testament are just loaded with promises with regard to the kingdom. In Revelation 20, we are shown the earthly kingdom of the Messiah. We are actually looking at the restored earth, almost restored to its original glory. It is ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints of all the ages. Up until Revelation 20, everything has been premillennial. Everything has been pre kingdom. In the last podcast, I deviated a bit from the normal study of the scriptures and focused a bit on the different perceptions of the premillennialism and amillennialism in regard to the binding of Satan during the millennial kingdom. In respect to the binding of Satan in Revelation 20, there might be some questions about demons and what happens to them during this period. Scripture tells us that not only is Satan at war with humanity, but he also has a whole host of beings that Paul calls in Ephesians 6 the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What happens to these spiritual forces of evil when Satan is removed? Let me go briefly back to last week's passage Revelation 20, verses 1 to 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit in a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that he must be released for a little while. Now, nothing is said about them in this passage, but we shouldn't expect that any single passage of Scripture will teach everything there is to say about a subject whither it is mentioned. There is a term that is often quoted by many Reformed theologians to address so-called contradictions in the Bible, or when a single verse of Scripture is used out of context to reinforce a humanistic philosophy or heretical teaching. That term is scripture confirms scripture this means that a single verse should never be used to advocate a position as scriptures will always corroborate and explain each other although the question of what happens to the demons once satan is removed is not mentioned in revelation 20 the question is answered elsewhere in the bible in isaiah 24 verses 21 it says exactly what god will do with the demons On that day the Lord will punish the host of heaven, in heaven, and the kings of the earth, on the earth. Now we already know by this time that the kings of the earth have been punished. This is what the Lord Jesus did when he came in Revelation 19 verses 11 to 21. He assaulted and defeated the kings of the earth. Now as we read Isaiah 24 verses 22 to 23, we will see how our Lord deals with the demons. They will be gathered together as prisoners in the pit. They will be shut up in a prison, and after many days they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded, and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and His glory will be before His elders. So Isaiah 24 is clearly a parallel passage to Revelation 20. It reveals that Satan and his angels, the demons, are removed from activity on the earth. For them it is a complete removal, without access to earth, with no possibility of release for a thousand years. So Isaiah confirms what John in Revelation also saw. Scripture always confirms Scripture. The next challenge to this chapter of Revelation is whether we should take the duration of the thousand years literally. Perhaps it is a metaphor for an indefinite period, or even perhaps an abstract concept, such as the term totally or completely. Look again at the last phrase of verse 3. After that, he must be released for a little time. The Greek word for time in this passage is chronos, from which we get chronology. It is clearly a reference to a specific period of time, as is the thousand years. Six times throughout the chapter, the term thousand years appears. If God wanted to say it was going to last a thousand years, how could he put it more plainly than this? The a say that this is the only passage in the Bible that teaches a millennial kingdom, but that is a distortion of the truth. The earthly kingdom of Christ, restoring the throne of David over the nations, is taught in many other scriptures. This passage is, however, the only one that teaches us how long that kingdom is going to last. The purpose for this removal of Satan is clearly stated in this scripture. It says, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. We know that this is what Satan has actively been doing throughout this whole church age. Satan has been deceiving the nations. He deceives them with a sense of their own self-importance. He deceives them with the perverted use of sexuality. He deceives them with the lust for power. He deceives them with greed. He deceives them about the true values of life. These lives have been cultivated in human lives by these unseen and invisible powers for more than 2,000 years. In fact, the whole record of human history is a record of the deceitfulness of the devil. But now God declares that this will cease. It will not go on any longer. Satan is bound and thrown into the abyss along with all his demons. He is locked in and sealed over, and God ensures that for a thousand years the earth is going to live in peace. Now we can progress on to Revelation 20 verses 4 to 6. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Here is the information on the long-promised reign of the saints with Christ. Three distinct groups are mentioned here. Firstly, the apostle John sees thrones and seated on them are those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Who are they? These scriptures link in with the remarkable promise that Jesus made to his twelve disciples in Matthew 19, verses 28. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Specifically, Jesus gives them authority to judge the nation of Israel, and they are linked, in this passage, with the restored Israel. That phrase in Revelation 20, verses 4, includes more than just the twelve disciples. We shouldn't forget the promise that the risen Jesus Christ gave to the church of Thyatira back in Revelation 2, verses 26. That promise must also include the overcomers of the present age of the church. That promise says, the one who overcomes and the one who keeps my deeds until the end i will give him authority over the nations so the believers of the present age the true born again believers in christ will be involved with the reign of jesus over the nations and just to reinforce the concept of scripture confirming scripture that i mentioned earlier what does paul write to the church in 1 corinthians 6 verses 2 to 3 do you not know that the saints will judge the world And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? Paul's reasoning here is that if we are going to do all this judging and we are learning how to do it now, why couldn't the Corinthian church settle those small disputes in the congregation now? There is also a second group here, namely the martyrs of the tribulation. This is the same group we saw in chapters 6 and 7 who were put to death because of their faith in Christ. They refused to bow before the authority of the Antichrist or to worship him. They will live again, we are told, and will reign with Christ for a thousand years. There is a third group. They are only mentioned here, and we will see why in a moment. In verse 5, John mentions, The rest of the dead will not come to life until the thousand years were ended. That refers to the unbelieving dead, those who will appear before the great white throne which is described at the end of chapter 20. It should be obvious from this verse that there is clearly more than one resurrection. But A. millennial's believe there is only one resurrection and that it comes at the end of history and that is the great white throne judgment a believe that there will be a judgment of both the righteous and the wicked dead, raised at the same time and judged in one judgment. If that were the case, and since verse 5 says, the rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended, a insist that the first resurrection mentioned here is not the resurrection of the body, but something which happens in the spirit or the soul. They say that this refers to spiritual rebirth or the survival of the spirit after death. That is an extremely weak position because the word resurrection in Greek literally means to stand up again. I live in South Africa and one of the many languages spoken in our country is Afrikaans. The word resurrection in Afrikaans is opstanding, which if translated directly translates as upstanding. The Afrikaans' word for resurrection therefore captures the meaning exactly. A spirit cannot stand up, it is immaterial. Neither can a soul stand up, but a body can stand up, and this word resurrection is never used elsewhere in scripture except in the context of a body. Therefore, the raising of the bodies of the dead is exactly what is meant by the first resurrection. There is a passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that speaks of the order of resurrection and it says of Jesus that he was the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first resurrection here looks back to include the resurrection of Jesus and those raised with him. Matthew 27 verses 52 to 53 tells us that at the same time that the Lord Jesus was raised many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. These saints were part of the first-fruits which were offered to God as the first part of the first resurrection. It says so in one corinthians fifteen verses twenty three but each in his own order, Christ the first-fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. when Christ appears to rapture or snatch away the church to himself, that is the next segment of the first resurrection. More than 2,000 years lie between the events of Matthew 27 and the coming rapture of the church. But time is not a factor when it comes to an eternal event. Verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. This is the end resurrection, which would be the final resurrection before the great white throne judgment. So there are clearly two resurrections taught in scripture. In John 5 verses 28 to 29, Jesus himself referred to two resurrections. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is why John says in Revelation 20, verses 6 Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be the priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Revelation 20 is the most controversial part in the book of Revelation with Bible scholars and interpreters debating the trustworthiness of various millennial views. It is easy to become confused, but if you apply the principle of Scripture confirms Scripture and see that Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, and many Old Testament prophets say about the millennial kingdom, you will begin to understand and be encouraged. Personally, as I began to understand this, all fear left me and I immediately began to experience a peace in my spirit. This is David Wiles, your fellow Traveler in Christ, and this has been the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, episode 56.